Last Sunday, we said that throughout these Easter week studies, our goal is to see some fresh insights and some fresh perspective about Jesus. I want to I learn beyond what's familiar this year. I want to see Jesus in a different light. And with that in mind, there's one object in what we call the Last Supper, what we just celebrated and remembered tonight. There's one object that communicates a message about Jesus that is, that is so unique and so um, profound that literally it is almost unimaginable. It's almost so far beyond our comprehension that Jesus would do this that, that my mind can't really wrap around it. Now, on one hand, we see the Holy Son of God. We know that Jesus was God in flesh. We see the Holy Son of God who has all power, all authority over all things. He saw that. We saw that throughout his ministry. He healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and, and brought the dead back to life. We know that Jesus had power and authority and, and teaching that was beyond anybody's understanding. So, so we know Jesus has that side, but, but now we see the Son of God becoming the sacrificial lamb who is willingly going to go to the cross in our place. And as we just sang, he's going to bear the guilt and the penalty of our sin on himself. So on one side, we see this holy son of God who's taking this role. And on the other side, and this is what we're going to study in John 13 tonight, we see him using the towel of a humble servant. We see him taking on a role that, that condescends himself to prove his sacrifice and to give us an example to follow. Now, it's that towel that I want to focus on tonight. I want us to see how Jesus uses it and, and how it communicates such a powerful explanation of the heart of God. How it communicates to us the extent that God goes through to redeem us from our sin. And then it calls us, I think, as we study this, to just a deeper love for Christ and a deeper sacrifice and, and service to one another. So let's read John chapter 13. Let's start in verse 3. And, and as you do, and I know we've seen many movies and pictures and, and all kinds of things, but let's try to get, let's ask the Lord to give us a fresh mental picture, right? A, a fresh understanding of what this really looked like. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you don't realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, okay, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If I then, the Lord and your teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now before we look at this really amazing picture tonight, 
it's very important that we understand exactly who Jesus is and what power and authority he had. The Holy Spirit is very intentional. I've read this passage, you have too, studied it many times, but the Holy Spirit really popped out verse 3 at me this year because he's very intentional in saying, let me tell you who Jesus is before I tell you what he did. And he wants us to understand that even on earth, all things were under Jesus' control. Now, from the standpoint of his full deity, if you look back at verse 3, he had the power and authority to judge sin. He had the power and authority to confront sin, to defeat sin's power, to erase sin. He's the only one in the history of mankind who was or is or will be able and qualified to fulfill that. So by coming here and offering himself, he proves his control over everything. Now, from his human standpoint, because Jesus was fully God and fully man, from his human standpoint, he has the power and authority to defeat sin because he has completely fulfilled the law. Remember, the reason we were in bondage is because we were not able to obey the law of God. And the Bible says if you disobey one letter of the law, you're guilty of all of it. So every single person who's ever lived, and this is the point of the Old Testament, was guilty under the law. So without a way of salvation, everybody's destined for death and for hell. But along comes Jesus, and Jesus fulfills our law by becoming one of us. He overcomes direct temptation from the devil himself. And then he's qualified. He fills all the roles, all the qualifications to become the sacrificial Passover lamb. The fact that he had come from heaven, as we studied last week, uh, as we've announced in Luke 2, that he's the one who was born in this day, city of David, a savior. The fact, verse 3 says that he's returning to heaven, which he told them he was going to do, means that this is the savior who is qualified to go to the cross for us. Remember last week, he fulfilled 60 different prophecies. Everything about Jesus said he was the Messiah. But, but even with all of that authority, he never draws attention to himself. He never makes it about himself. He consistently says, I just came to do the will of the Father. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And, and now as they're sitting here at the Passover, and again, we just celebrated the remembrance of that. As they're sitting at the Passover table, it's never been more clear in all of Jesus' life and all of his ministry that, that he is about to take on this role, take on the disgrace and the shame of sin on himself and be humiliated and killed for his creation. So if there's ever a time where Jesus needed to be served, there's ever a time where Jesus should have received the praise and the credit he deserves, it's right now. His disciples have heard him say, this is going to happen. They walked alongside him as he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And he rode that donkey into town. And the people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise the Savior who's come. As they're shouting this, the disciples are walking along. And they're joining in in that praise. And they hear him teach. And they watch him do miracles. And they see lives transformed, not just physically, but spiritually. They had a number of times where Jesus saved their own lives. And not only that, but he's completely exhausted at this point. Imagine the burden that he felt in that upper room. 
later, a couple hours later, he'd be in Gethsemane. And the pain and the stress of what he was taking on would be so great, he's sweating blood. Imagine the trauma that he's going through. And he's been under pressure all of his ministry. The Pharisees have opposed him. The scribes have opposed him. The Sadducees have opposed him. People have been plotting his death since he showed up on the scene. So we've got who he is. We've got what he's doing. We've got the stress that he's feeling. And on top of that, this would be a perfect time for the disciples to minister to him because he's their master. They had confessed him. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Oh, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he says, okay, great. But now comes the time when he's under the greatest stress any human being has ever been under in all of human history. And the disciples, as they're celebrating the pastor with him, are only thinking of themselves. The text says that they were debating which of us is the greatest. They're so distracted by the spotlight. They're so distracted by, by, the, by the acclaim that they think they're going to get. Because Jesus says, I'm going to set up a kingdom. And on one side, the disciples are thinking earthly. Okay, this guy's got a great following. Everybody's listening to him. He, he is known throughout the country. This is, this is the guy. And guess what? We're close to him. I mean, think humanly here. Don't think the disciples are, are so uh, spiritually minded at this point that they're not debating this. Because they are. The text tells us that they are. Oh, man, this is great. Can you believe this? We're close to the guy. Like, this is so awesome. So when he sets up his kingdom, man, this is going to be awesome. He's going to kick Rome, and he's going to get those Pharisees, and he's going to push them out, and he's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. And guess who's going to be next to him? You know, let's get mom to go ask him, can we sit on the right side of of you? Not in earth, but in heaven. So they're thinking earthly kingdom, this is going to be awesome. Then they're thinking heavenly kingdom. Well, he says he's going to establish a heavenly kingdom. So so we want to be close because we're going to get some rewards. I mean, what better reward could there be than to be his disciple? This is in their heart. And as Jesus is preparing the Passover and sitting there and the weight of our sin is starting to fall upon him, they're going, who do you think's the best? I think I'm better than you. No way. I'm going to be in a higher place in heaven than you. Come on, John. Who do you think you are? You think Jesus loves you so much. Well, Thomas, you're always doubting. Well, Peter, you think you're such a big shot. I mean, I'm not making that up. That's in the text. Even at the Passover... Even as they see what's going on with the preponderance of evidence that Jesus is becoming the lamb that will be slain, they ignore both the physical needs of Jesus and the spiritual implications of his words and his actions. And those two things go together. On the physical standpoint, they come into the house. The norm of the culture was because the roads were made of dirt and stone and because animals would walk along and drop things along the way, that when you got into a house, your feet were filthy. You were wearing sandals, and you were walking along, and the dirt was kicking up, and so, so you'd be filthy. So when you'd come to a house, the host of the house would have a basin of water, and they'd have a towel or two sitting there, so you could come in, and you could wash your feet and kind of refresh yourself. You could, you could be prepared to come into the house and to have a time of fellowship. Now, in the wealthier homes, there would be a servant there. So you'd walk in and the servant would be there and they'd be ready and you'd walk in and you'd sit down and the servant would come and wash your feet and dry them off and then you'd have a thank you very much. You'd go and sit down uh, with the host. 
Now they walk into the meal, and just like any other house, the basin is obviously there. But nobody bothers to grab it. There's no host. This is their room. They rented the room. This is the upper room. So they walk in. Now who's going who's gonna to be the humble one? Who's going to take the menial role? Even though it's obviously there, nobody decides to step up and, and, and at the very least serve Jesus. Master, master, come here, come here, come here. Let's, guys, we need to wash the master's feet. Peter, you can take care of yourself. But, but we're, we need to wash the master's feet. Jesus, come on over here. 